it's actually kind of a real eye-opener when you realize coming from an outside world, especially coming from an optimization background, I just assumed that every retailer had an optimization algorithm and was picking the exactly perfect items to put in every store. Learning that that wasn't the truth and that actually Hivery is trying to change that and trying to bring optimization to the forefront of retail was really exciting and really enticed me to join Hivery and trying to help drive that revolution in retail. Well, hello there. This is Milena and welcome to another episode of Retail Mavericks podcast. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Hivery. Hivery is the pioneer in hyperlocal retailing. By combining artificial intelligence, operations research, and human-centered design models, Hybrid's suite of products helps CPGs and retailers generate a return on physical retail space investment. And today, it is my great pleasure to introduce Mark Lawrenson. Mark started as an intern at Hybrid three years ago, and now he is the product lead of Hybrid Curate, formerly known as Hybrid Propel the world's first AI and optimization category management solution. So without any further ado, we'll kick this episode off with Mark sharing some optimization examples used in the real world that are rarely heard of. There's one particular example that comes to mind that's actually really interesting. Just after World War II, there was, well, there was East and West Germany, where the Soviets were occupying East Germany and Berlin, which was completely surrounded by East Germany, was split into West and East Berlin, and the Allies were occupying West Berlin. And in 1948, the Soviets actually tried to force the Allies out of West Berlin by cutting off all of the land routes into West Berlin, which meant that the Allies had to supply the entire city by air if they wanted to continue occupying West Berlin, which is obviously quite a daunting task, given that you've got limited number of planes, limited number of pilots. Pilots can only fly so many hours before they get too tired to fly anymore. And you've also got limited fuel and limited monetary resources as well. And, you know, you need to deliver an entire city's worth of supplies by air. So meanwhile, while that was going on, a mathematician named George Danzig had come up with optimization technique that's very common now, but at the time he had just invented it in 1947 called linear programming. And he'd also come up with algorithm in 1947 called the simplex algorithm, which was able to solve linear programs. And this was actually before computers had really become anywhere near as powerful as they are today. So Danzig, he was working for the military at the time. He got called in to help deal with this Berlin airlift problem and developed a linear program that could optimize all of the operations of the Berlin airlift under these really tight constraints of the pilots, planes, and fuel and solved that using the simplex algorithm. Actually, if I remember correctly, using paper and solving by hand to a large extent, not all with computers because computers weren't that common back then. And that problem and solution actually played a large part in the success of the Berlin airlift for the year or so that it was in operation until the Soviets relented and allowed land access to West Berlin again. And a big part of that was this optimization algorithm that Danzig invented and applied to the problem that many people don't realize. So that was 
probably one of the first ones that was a real real world problem that was getting solved, particularly by linear programming. I mean, I guess maybe if you were to talk about optimization as we know it today, that was the, kind of the foundations of it. And then this was the first big application of that methodology. And one of the big things that's changed over time in optimization from then to today is the computing power available. So since then, linear programming has evolved to a point where strictly linear programs are almost a solved problem, uh, if I were to put air quotes around something, where if you can model something as a linear program, you will almost always be able to solve it in any real world application that I've really worked with. And a lot of extensions beyond that in mathematical optimization have appeared. So for example, something that I've used quite a lot is integer linear programming, which is very similar to linear programming, except that your solutions can only be integer. So in linear programming, you can have, for example, one and a half planes flying to Berlin. In integer linear programming, you can only have zero, one or two planes flying to Berlin, which is obviously quite important for actually being able to apply the results from an optimization algorithm. So that's come around. And then there's also been quite a lot of work in, there's another broad subfield of optimization around heuristic methods, as opposed to complete methods. Complete methods are always optimal with respect to the problem. Heuristic methods are not always optimal with respect to the problem. So there's been a lot of work in heuristic methods since then. For example, in genetic algorithms, the goal of genetic algorithms is to simulate evolution, where you have a population of individuals and individuals are a solution to the problem and you simulate evolution through that so you cross over individuals from your population in order to simulate reproduction where you take part of one solution part of another solution turn it into a new solution and then you evaluate how fit that new solution is you mutate solutions so like over time people change right in evolution and you also simulate that by mutating the solution. So you might just change one piece of the solution. So for example, the solution involved having pilot A flying plane A, it might now involve having pilot A flying plane B. And then you do something called selection where you, again, emulating natural selection, where you, you evaluate your entire population for fitness, how good they are with respect to your goal and you cull the bottom proportion of your population and move from to the top part of your population, cross over to generate more offspring, mutate the offspring, select again, and so on. So there's a lot of heuristic algorithms like that that have come up since then, as well as other complete methods. A good example of that is uh, constraint programming, which is in a way quite similar to linear programming in that you're specifying a model of your problem and then there's an algorithm that can help solve your model of your problem. But it is also different in that you are using the logical constraints more stemming from the computer science world than mathematical equations as you would in linear programming. So Mark, before we dive any deeper into the world of optimization, I think it is important to give definitions to both of those terms. So in terms of definitions of these words, now I will be the first to say that I kind of abuse and use words interchangeably across the board, but operations research as a whole is more or less about making better decisions through analytical methods. So using analytics in order to help make better decisions. And one of the analytical methods that is very prominent in operations research, almost to a point where I use the words interchangeably, is optimization, which is 
more specifically about finding the best alternative among many alternatives. So you might have millions upon millions of ways to schedule your pilots to planes in order to fly an airlift. But optimization is about the science of finding those best ways to do that. How did you find your passion for mathematics and more specifically for optimization? I actually studied maths and physics in undergrad, and I actually ended up getting really interested in operations research and optimization after I graduated my undergrad. So during the maths and physics, I barely touched on it. But then I worked briefly in investment banking and was working mainly on financial models for mining operations and mergers and acquisitions and stuff in the mining space. And I actually got really fascinated by the application of this operations research field that I didn't know much about. And it was really fascinating, you know, how they land at a mine schedule and how they plan that. And it was also particularly interesting how even in mining, where you'd think that optimization is being used every day in every mine, a lot of our clients, they just had a mine schedule that was made by a person with a whiteboard that wasn't made using an optimization technique. And it could be significantly better and the valuation of the whole asset could be significantly better if the mine schedule was optimized. So that really got me very excited about moving into this field of operations research and just seeing the the impact that it could have on business and on the world generally. Because it's also, if you go back to the previous example about the airlift or you just look at logistics today, if every logistics company, every company that had a fleet of trucks was optimizing the utilization of that fleet, we could be using significantly less resources in the world if we were using them more efficiently. So after that brief stint in finance, I knew that I wanted to learn more about optimization and I wanted to move into the optimization world. And I also knew that I definitely didn't know enough from my undergrad studies in maths and physics. So I actually moved to Canberra and I pursued an honors at ANU in mathematical optimization with Phil Kilby and Marcus Hegland. And in that honors thesis, I was really focusing on optimization-based heuristics and specifically on their applications towards a classic logistics problem in the optimization world known as the vehicle routing problem. And basically what the vehicle routing problem is, is imagine if you're a bakery and you've got a fleet of vehicles and each with a driver and let's just simplify it a bit and pretend that all of our trucks are exactly the same size. So And you've got customers spread across the city in which you're operating. So you've got your depot in maybe one corner of the city and you've got customers everywhere in the city. And you need to figure out the best way to use your vehicles to deliver to your customers while driving as little as possible. I mean, obviously, you want to lower the cost as much as you can of delivering to those customers, which means lowering the amount that you drive and lowering the emissions, lowering the resource consumption as well of your fleet. So that's more or less a vehicle routing problem where you've now got to figure out which vehicles deliver to which customers and which order do they deliver to those customers. But it actually gets a lot more complicated in reality. No one has a perfectly homogenous fleet of trucks. They've got big trucks, they've got old trucks, they've got new trucks, they've got little vans. Some roads are busier than others and can take a lot longer to traverse than other roads. And another thing that happens that's really realistic but makes this problem much tougher is that customers can only accept deliveries during certain times. So a customer might say that we can take a delivery between 7 and 11, but we can't take it in the afternoon. And you've got to figure out a way to 
now optimize the order in which you visit the customers where the customer that's right next to your depot might not be able to take a delivery until the afternoon and a customer that's way out in the other end of the city needs a delivery first thing in the morning. So basically heuristic approaches, like I mentioned before, don't necessarily guarantee that the answer will be optimal, but as a result of that, they are typically a lot faster and can scale a lot further than complete approaches in real world use cases. And obviously real world problems can be very big. So you might not just have your bakery with your bakery's fleet of vehicles. In fact, most bakeries probably aren't using optimization to solve their delivery problems. What is more realistic to end up working with in the field as an operations research practitioner is entire fleet of trucks for an entire, for example, petrol company. So an entire petrol company's fleet of trucks across an entire country and how they deliver petrol in various grades to all of the petrol stations everywhere in the country from the refineries in the country. And those problems are obviously very big and they can be very difficult to solve efficiently, even with heuristic methods because of their size. So that that's why I chose to work on heuristic methods. And more specifically, my work was on optimization-based heuristics that were more or less around something that's known as decomposition methods, which is an approach where you take the big problem. So you've got your big problem, which let's go back to the bakery example, even though it's a bit of a toy example, where you have 10 trucks and 100 customers, and you need to decide two things, which trucks service which customers, as well as the order in which those trucks service those customers. So the route that those trucks take. Classical decomposition for the vehicle routing problem is to split that into two problems where you take one problem is figuring out which trucks deliver to which customers and you just assign customer A to truck one, customer B to truck two and so on. And then once you've done that, you solve another problem, which is in what order does each truck visit the customers that have been assigned to it. Mark, in 2017, you published a conference paper called A Model-Based Genetic Algorithm Framework for Constrained Optimization Problems. Can you discuss the framework you and your colleagues have developed? Yeah, so that paper was co-authored with Phil Kilby and Tommaso Early back in 2017. And basically what we wanted to achieve was to create a framework that would enable optimization practitioners to easily model real-world problems and solve them efficiently. What does that mean? Most real-world optimization problems are constrained in that they have boundaries. For example, the trucks can only hold so much weight, or you've only got so many planes, so many pilots, and so on. Those are constraints. So we knew that we wanted to handle constraints in a great way in our framework. We wanted to handle constraints in a first-class way in whatever framework we were going to develop. And constraint programming was an obvious approach there. It was an obvious choice for being kind of the bedrock of our framework. And then the other part of it was that we wanted to be able to solve very large problems because most real world problems are very large. So we need to be able to solve problems efficiently once they are specified in a nice constraint programming framework. At the time, parallel computing resources, and still today, parallel computing resources are becoming increasingly accessible with the growth of the cloud and the amount of cores that laptop computers even have these days. And so we knew that we wanted to use a highly parallel heuristic approach with all the benefits of the constraint programming approach. And again, genetic algorithms were a fairly clear fit 
for good, highly parallel heuristic approach that's had a lot of success in the field. And we could see a way that we could combine genetic algorithms and constraint programming. And the way that we did that was, as I talked about before in what a genetic algorithm is, it's got three main components. A component where you simulate natural selection and you pick the best individuals. A component where you simulate reproduction and you create offspring from parent individuals. And then it's got another operation where you mutate the children to simulate their growth. So I'm actually using the term model-based optimization to refer to a paradigm where you model the system or problem that you would like to optimize using a framework that's provided by the model-based optimization solution or solver. And then that solver independently optimizes that model as opposed to any sort of approach where you create a custom solver just for your problem. An advantage of this is that provided the modeling framework that the solver provides is rich enough, unique real-world problems are able to be modeled very quickly. And provided the solver is efficient enough at solving problems written in its framework, they can be solved very quickly, which can hugely reduce the amount of time that it takes to deliver optimization solutions. Additionally, in many cases, particularly here at Hivery, the end user actually needs to adjust, remove, add new constraints to the problem, which can be achieved much more easily if you've got a model that the end user can interact with through an interface. For a more concrete example of this, at Hivery, we've got at the center of Propel is basically a model-based optimization system. And the entire interface around Propel, a large part of it is actually an interface to translate constraints that are written in a way that a category management practitioner understands them into mathematical constraints that appear in the optimization model and can then be solved with respect to these new constraints. And this has been a really big benefit for us at Hivery, both in terms of making our product much more useful for our users, as well as our ability to deliver things quickly. Shifting our focus to Hivery, Mark, can you tell us how is model-based optimization used in a fleet of Hivery's products? In essence, our biggest differentiator to many other companies in the analytics space is that if you talk about analytics in a framework where you've got descriptive analytics, where basically descriptive analytics are saying, here is what has happened. You're looking at what has happened and you're presenting it in an actionable way to an end user or customer. Then you've got predictive analytics where you're telling the customer what will happen, but you're not actually telling them what to do. The customer has to figure out what to do about what's going to happen. And then you've got prescriptive analytics or optimization if I were to abuse the terms. Prescriptive analytics is where you actually take that one step further. So you know what will happen and you actually also tell the user what they should do in order to maximize their benefit from what will happen. So that's how Hivery broadly uses optimization in this prescriptive analytics framework as the last step in actually going from machine learning predictions of what will happen to here's what you should do because we know what will happen. And we use that in all of our products. And that's one of our core differentiators is that we take insights all the way through to actions using optimization. Mark, you were the product director for Hivery Curate, formerly known as Hivery Propel. Can you tell us more about this solution? Hivery Propel is a solution that helps category managers primarily solve merchandising challenges in the CPG and retail space. It helps them decide 
exactly which products to put in which stores. And going a bit further than that, it actually helps them also decide exactly how much of each product to put in each store and how to arrange the products in each store. Hybrid Propel was actually born out of a request that we got from a large CPG customer of ours to take our first product. Our first product was Hivery Enhance, which helps um, solve three main questions for vending machine operators, which products to put in each vending machine, how much of each product to put in each vending machine, and what price to charge for each product in each vending machine to basically solve those same problems, except in big retail stores. And of course, attempting to solve those same problems in big retail stores came with a whole new raft of challenges where you don't just have slots in a vending machine to put your products in. You've actually got a shelf where you can stack your products sideways, vertically, on their back, whatever, in many different ways. And you can also put the products next to each other in a non-fixed way. Like you can have a narrow product and then a wide product and then two narrow products. Whereas in a vending machine, you can just have four products next to each other. That added a whole new level of complexity to this whole problem. So Hyphen Propel has been evolving over the last several years since we got that request. We started out basically just taking the same assortment that was on the shelf and trying to utilize the shelf space more efficiently to increase what is called the days of supply. And the days of supply is, so just think about an aisle in a supermarket. If you were to fill every slot where product can go all the way full of the products that are supposed to be there, the days of supply measures how long it takes until the first product runs out in that shelf. So we started out basically just trying to increase the days of supply with the fixed assortment. Then we started to realize how much opportunity there was in picking a better assortment in each store. So we used um, machine learning to predict how well new products will perform in stores that they haven't been in before. And then we started to add that into the optimization as well, where we were optimizing not just how to arrange the products and how much of each product to put there, but also which products to put in which store. That then actually opened up a whole other can of worms of there are reasons why products are in stores the way that they are. For example, so if you're launching a new flavor of your product, it gets put into every store, despite the sales projections not saying it should get into every store. And that's because there's quite a lot of negotiation that goes on between the retailer and the CPG manufacturer in order to get their products assorted in stores, which then resulted in us needing to extend our optimization algorithm enormously to support many different types of constraints that came out of those negotiations. We were very lucky in Hybrid Propel that we chose to build the entire system around an optimization model. So that meant that we've had a mathematical model sitting at the core of the system that has variables, that has decisions that it needs to make for which product goes where, how much of that product gets arranged, and which shelf it goes on in each store. Because we had those decisions there and we had the mathematical model framework in the center of our product, it's been very easy for us to add more and more new constraints as they've appeared in the real world. And an example of that recently is that you might have a thousand stores and those 1,000 stores, products don't just get to that store by going straight from the factory to each store. They go through distribution centers in between. And for your 1,000 stores, you might have 20 distribution centers. And in those distribution centers, you have another problem, which is that you've got a fixed number of slots for your products. So you might only have 20 slots 
in the distribution center for the category you're optimizing, despite having a hundred products in the category. And that is actually a really tough problem for the industry to solve, which is we want to have the best assortment in each store. We want to have the best unique products to fit that Snowflake store, exactly what that store needs, right? Like exactly what the shoppers at that store want to have at that store. We want to make sure that each store has exactly the right products, but we've got 20 stores that share the same distribution center and that distribution center can only have 20 products that all of those stores have to pick their products from. So we were able to actually add constraints that model this whole distribution center concept within a sprint and deliver that to our customers, which has been really great in terms of using this optimization model at the center of our product and how that's been able to have us do things that I think no one else has been able to deliver things at this kind of pace. And it also, obviously, having an optimization model in the center of your product ensures that the results that our customers get are always optimal. They're always optimized to find the best assortment out of the many possible assortments. If you are interested in learning more about this solution, you can now request a demo on our website. Simply navigate to hybrid.com slash product slash curate and see the power of artificial intelligence for yourself. And back to our discussion, Mark, how did you first discover Hyvary and what made you want to come on board? I actually, I knew of Hyvary through Menkes because we worked in the same lab at Data61. And I think Frankie and Menkes actually came to our office in Canberra and presented about Hyvary in one of our um, brown bag sessions, which was pretty cool. And what they were working on sounded really interesting around um, solving these sort of merchandising problems of which products do you put in which stores and how much of each product. And I mean, it's actually kind of a real eye-opener when you realize coming from an outside world, especially coming from an optimization background. I just assumed that every retailer had an optimization algorithm and was picking the exactly perfect items to put in every store. Learning that that wasn't the truth and that actually Hyvary is trying to change that and trying to bring optimization to the forefront of retail was really exciting and really enticed me to join Hyvary and help drive that revolution in retail. After that, I got pretty excited about Hyvary, ended up catching up with Menkes in Sydney a few years ago, and we got pretty deep in the planogram optimization problem that Propel is solving on a whiteboard and sounded like a really interesting, challenging real-world problem. And the other bit that really got me excited about it was that end users really wanted to change constraints on the problem a lot. And Hyvary's goal was to build a software as a service product for it, where we would actually enable the end users to change those constraints themselves, as opposed to having us modify the code behind the scenes to respect those constraints. That That's something that I've always been very passionate about, bridging the gap in the domains so that a domain expert that is a subject matter expert in whatever field we're applying optimization to is able to control the optimization algorithm itself deeply without knowing anything about optimization. And it's been a great challenge trying to tackle these problems and make the solutions truly accessible to end users that don't understand optimization, but are able to interact with a very deep optimization algorithm without potentially realizing it. So Mark, you're obviously very passionate about solving real world problems. What are your career aspirations? More broadly, my mission is 
I guess if you would call it that, a, a life's mission is about making a big impact in optimization, making optimization be used in more fields than it is today and used more easily than it is today. One of the biggest issues with that today is that in order to apply optimization to a complicated real world problem, you need to be an expert in two things. You actually need to be an expert in optimization techniques and you also need to be an expert in the real world problem. I feel that that is one of the big reasons that optimization hasn't been able to have as big of an impact in the world as I think it could. And broadly, I'd say that my life's mission would be to change that, to advance optimization technology and user-friendly optimization technology to a point where you don't actually need to be a deep expert in optimization to drive impact with optimization. You can be an expert in your problem and you can talk to a system in a way that you understand that can then help you drive impact with optimization. So before we wrap our conversation today, Mark, I want to ask you one last question. What do you think would be the larger impact that this would have on industries and the society? I think it can make a fundamental change to the way that businesses operate as they apply optimization, because as optimization becomes more accessible to more industries and more domains, I think that the usage of it will start to become almost a prerequisite to compete in a lot of businesses. I, I really think that by driving the adoption of optimization technology in more and more industries in the world and more and more applications in the world to the point where, to bring back the example that I was talking about earlier, you know, every bakery that has a fleet of trucks can make sure that their trucks are being used in the most efficient way possible can really help us not just compete more effectively, but also really drive efficiencies in the world and really help us use the limited resources that we have in this world more efficiently and reduce waste in the world as well. Even with Propel, we've actually just added a constraint, again, enabled by having this optimization model at the center of everything that allows you to prevent products from being put into stores where they won't sell out before their shelf life expires. No one else has been able to do that yet, as far as we know. And that's just a small example of the kind of impact that optimization can have as it permeates through more and more industries in the world. So overall, I believe that making optimization technology more accessible to domain experts will increase the adoption of optimization technology and more people using optimization technology will result in a more efficient world. Thank you for listening until the end of this podcast. To learn more about Hybrid Curate, navigate to hybrid.com forward slash products forward slash curate to watch a video and or request a demo. To learn more about other products or career opportunities at Hyvery, simply navigate to hyvery.com forward slash products and hyvery.com forward slash careers. And till the next time, everyone.